Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. There's a character in the Adams family called Thing. You guys remember Thing? What's Thing? The hand, right? The hand just walks around, right? And and the hand is kind of funny and charming, and they do quirky things with it. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cute, right? Nobody wants to see a disembodied hand walking down the aisle, right? We're not opening the big doors, ba ba da, you know. And then the bride comes in, and it's a hand wearing a little like headdress. Where that's not happening. And yet, and yet, hear me. So many Christians think that's exactly what they're going to do. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The Bible refers to Christians as members of a larger body, the church. And the church is also referred to as the Bride of Christ. Today, Pastor Ricky reminds us of the implications of these truths. The Christian walk isn't designed to be taken alone. As followers of Jesus, we need the church just as a hand is useless if not attached to the body. It's not always easy. The church is full of sinful people and serious wounds take place within the church. But even still, the church is Christ's bride. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter 19. As he continues his message, he still calls her his bride. In the end, Christ's work is perfected. He washes his bride, he clothes his bride, he perfects his bride till she is radiant. So section two then, what is the church to the Christian? If the church is Christ's bride, if that's what the the church is to Christ himself, what is the church to the Christian? Well, I think we see what our response to the church should be in this text. It says This, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord God, our Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. And listen to this, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Meaning this, the church today, us here now, we are called to no indifferent response to the bride. Like, I guess it's cool if you're into that. No, if that is true, that Jesus has made the church his bride, our response is yes. We rejoice in the church. We exult in what God is doing in and through the church. There is no passivity. There's no like, oh, if you're into that, no. Here's what I want you to see. If you love Jesus, you gotta love what Jesus loves. There's no loving Jesus and not loving what he loves. There is no option to like, would you like to accept Christ's gift of salvation? Check yes. Also, would you like to hear more about his project, the church? She is an absolute mess and we can find you a place to serve in screaming kids ministry. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna take Jesus, not that part. No, they're bound together for all eternity. You will never get Christ apart from the church. Therefore, the church is called to rejoice and exalt and give glory to God for what he is doing. Look, the, the, here's, here's the one critical point I want you to get in this image. This is a corporate image. Over and over in Revelation, the, the text is emphasizing the corporate nature of the church, right? The, the gathered multitude, the big group, the bride, right? The, the metaphors in scripture, the body, the temple, all of them, they are corporate pictures, meaning this. 
You cannot have an individual Christian theologically that is not connected to the corporate body, corporate bride of Jesus. You, you can't pick one and not the other. Look, remember back in the day, I think there's a new version of it. There, there was the Adams family. Love the Adams family. If you're in a weird old black and white, somehow horror comedies were big at that time with the Munsters, the Adams family. But one of the characters, somebody, I didn't even know the name of the character. There's a character in the Adams family called Thing. You guys remember Thing? What's Thing? The hand, right? The hand just walks around, blah, 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 right? And, and the hand is kind of funny and charming, and they do quirky things with it. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cute, right? Nobody wants to see a disembodied hand walking down the aisle, right? We're not opening the big doors, ba-ba-da, you know, and then the bride comes in, and it's a hand wearing a little, like, headdress. We're, that's not happening. And yet, and yet, hear me, so many Christians think that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to be an individual Christian existing apart from and outside of the corporate identity of the church. And here's the thing. In the New Testament, local Christians are always connected to local churches. You only need a local church if you're a local Christian. If you're just a universal Christian, meaning like you're not a real person and you're just an ethereal idea, yeah, you probably don't need a local church. But if you are a flesh and blood Christian, you need a flesh and blood church. I love the way our statement of faith says it. I, I, they, the guys served us well in crafting a new statement of faith. And many statements of faith don't have a section on the local church. And so this is, this is what they crafted. And I love this sentence. It says this, as an expression of Christ's universal church, the local church is the focal point of God's plan to mature his people and save sinners. As an expression of Christ's universal church, the local church is the focal point of God's plan to mature his people and save sinners. Can you believe that? That seems unbelievable to me, that, that, that the, the mundane of what we have on Sunday morning with the donuts and coffee and the chairs that don't exactly match because we got them cheap at one point. We used to have purple chairs and slowly we're getting better chairs. And, right? and John had to break a string on his guitar and worship and just the mundane, like this is what we do. We get together and maybe a kid's ministry worker called in sick and we're going through the emergency exit. All of that, that mundanity is theologically the focal point of God's plan to mature his people and save sinners. That's insane to me. And yet that's what God is saying in his word. That today we here are an expression of the bride of Jesus Christ. Oh, and, and, and here's one, one other point I wanna make here. One of the things you see in Revelation, I don't know if you noticed this, but it is nuts in the end times of which Jesus says we are in right now. It is nuts. There's beasts coming out attacking people. There's false prophets running around deceiving people. There's Babylon seducing people. The dragon is roaring through them all. And it's, scripture says that, the, that Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. I don't know about you, but I don't like your chances by yourself against that. Right? In a horror movie, scary movie, somebody always says, I'm gonna go check that out by myself, you know? And you're like, no, you stupid guy, stay with the group, right? That's Revelation, okay? <laughs> revelation is an argument for staying with the group. Not only because theologically it's right, but practically gives you a place to stand. You're not alone. 
Even when you feel alone, even when we face the slings and arrows of the world around us, even though the storms rage and, and the seas are choppy, we stand in Christ together. That's what we see in Revelation. Now, now, what is then the church to the world? So the church is dear to Christ. The church should be dear to the believer. We should rejoice and exalt. That should be our posture. What is the church to the world? I want to argue that the church is just as dear, if you could say that, say it that way, to the world as it should be to us, in a sense. Here's what I mean. How do you get from Jesus' ministry to the gathering of the bride who's made up of every, people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people? How do you get from Jesus' ascension to this bride gathered at the end of history and revelation? How do you get there? Through the ministry of the church. Meaning this, that the church, as it exists, calls people, invites people. Blessed is the one who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Through the church, the invitation to the marriage supper, the invitation to the people of God is made known openly to all that will hear. This is God's design from the very beginning. Briefly, when God calls Abraham, the purpose of Abraham was for the nations. God says, through you, all the nations will be blessed, Genesis 22. In Isaiah 49, God tells his people, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In Acts 2, Peter stands up and preaches and says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. How is this going to get done? How do we get from ascension to the, the gathered bride of Christ at the end of history through the ministry of the church? That's insane. Why would God do that? I don't know. That is what he has done and is doing and will do. The focal point of God's plan to save sinners is right here. In average, ordinary, unspectacular gatherings without smoke and light and mirrors, lasers, etc. Ordinary believers following Jesus, making his appeal through them that they might be reconciled to God. Look, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this invitation is for you. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're waiting for an invitation, here it is, right here. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's not an exclusive event. We had our, Jen and I at our wedding, we had some wedding crashers. I thought that was just like a thing that, that happened in movies, but apparently like some high school friends told some other high school friends and we had a group of semi-drunk, rowdy high school people from high school that she didn't really know come and crash our wedding. And we were kind of like, well, okay, I guess, whatever. Maybe they'll meet somebody and hear about Jesus. Wedding crashes are invited <laughs> to the marriage supper of the Lamb, all who are far off. Look, I, this is offered humbly. I don't know if this is the Lord. This is just my sense today. I felt the Lord just stop me earlier as we were in worship and say, at this point, with the recent ruling on abortion, I want to make super clear, and I believe the Lord would want to make super clear to you. If you had an abortion and regret it and feel yourself stained, or maybe you participated it, you pressured a girlfriend into it, hear the word of the Lord today. He offers redemption. There is no stain that cannot be washed away. There is no one who does not also receive the gift of the robe of his righteousness. The Listen, if that is you, hear the voice of the Lord today. This is for you. The invitation is for you. 
Washed, clean, justified, sanctified. Oh, won't you come to Christ today? There's nothing you can do or could have done that will keep you from him if you will believe and be saved. Look, for all of us, as we talk about the corporate church, we also want to bring the individual church into it. Here's the reality. God has not just washed and clothed and and is working in us on a corporate level. Each one of us has a story where God, like the prophet Hosea, went to us in adultery, in stain and sin, and he saw it and he didn't turn away and he came and he stopped us. And he saved us and he gathered us to himself. And as we gather in the bride of Christ, we look around and we're like, you too? You too? (laughs) I can't believe it. You too? That's what the church of Jesus Christ is. All right, some brief application then. If all this is true, how does it shape how we live? I'm gonna go through these quickly. Maybe we'll put them on the blog or something so you could walk through them if you want to. First, how do you decide what is normal in life? There are two visions of life offered in Revelation, the the vision of Babylon and the way that she operates and the vision of Christ's bride and the way that she lives, right? To the world, it is bizarre that we as Christians try to reconcile instead of just cancel each other. To the world, it is bizarre that we give money that doesn't benefit us directly. It is bizarre that we spend time trying to disciple immature people who don't always listen to our advice. It is offensive to them that we seek to proselytize and tell other people about Jesus and invite them to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All that is bizarre, but the Bible says, no, that is normal. It's normal to give generously and sacrificially, normal to care for high-maintenance people like me and you, normal to disciple people who need help and having a clue what to do in their marriage and family. Normal to reconcile through many tears, through many meetings. Normal to witness to those who don't know Christ. That is normal. Second question, how do you decide what to build your life around? I've I've seen the illustration used where, you know, you have a guy on stage, I'm not gonna recreate it, but there's a guy on stage with a big jar and he has a pile of big rocks, a pile of pebbles and a pile of sand. And he's like, how do we fit all this in here? Well, obviously you put the big rocks in first then you put the pebbles in and they kind of filter in to the crevices of the rocks and then you pour the sand in and it kind of goes through and then the jar is filled, right? All of us have lives, that's our life. We have a few big things that we put in first and we say, this is a non-negotiable. Not changing for anything. This is non-negotiable. And I believe in light of Revelation 19, the church should be one of those things. It must be one of those things. Look, I remember growing up, my dad in melon season, which is the big season for his business where he made most of the money for the year growing up and and he would get home dead tired after working a super long day and then he would, I think, hide in a side room and he'd eat his dinner in like five minutes and then come out and lead a small group meeting. And as a kid, as like a 10-year-old, I was like, why are we doing this? This is bizarre. These people come, they stomp chips into my carpet, and then I have to clean them up tomorrow. And my mom and dad are like, yay, let's do it again next week. Like, what in the world? Because early on, my mom and dad decided they're going to build a life around. One of the things they're going to build a life around is the church. Now, I want to say this. As you build your family, sometimes in Christian circles, I almost see it pitted against one another. Like, well, we need to have family time. We need to do things for our family. And, or we need to have church time. We're always going to be at church. This can be two extremes. Here's what I think. I think in light of the command for parents to disciple their kids and Christians to disciple one another and be discipled, your family and the church should be linked 
Meaning this, your family's gonna be healthier with other people around you. Your marriage is gonna be healthier if you got a friend that notices you speak to your wife harshly and takes you aside and said, hey, bud, what's going on? Isn't that gonna be better for your marriage? Isn't that gonna be better for your kids when you're around other parents who are helping, trying to disciple their kids and learning from them? But also, as you build your family, man, that is the work of building the church in many ways, right? This is discipling the next generation that they might arise and tell others. So how do you decide what to build your life around? Use scripture. Third, how do you make your major life decisions? Oh, I could spend a lot longer on this, but I'm gonna be brief. The purposes of God being bound up in the church make life, turn life decisions into ministry decisions. What career should you pursue? That's a ministry decision. What city should you live in? Where in the city should you live? Ministry decision. Singles, who should you marry? No, oh, you gotta be attracted to them, lots of things, et cetera, et cetera. That's also a ministry decision. Look, read 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, you're trying to decide whether you should get married or not. Here's a simple rule. I'm summarizing 1 Corinthians 7, paraphrase, the Alcantar paraphrase, okay? Paraphrase is this. Do you serve Jesus better together than get married? If you don't, constantly distract one another. Nope, don't do it, all right? Listen, and I just want to encourage those who are in the army or federal workers that, that their job moves them around. Let me just encourage you, do not see places you go as places to endure or places to enjoy alone, but places to minister. How do you decide where you live when you get PCS somewhere? Ministry decision. And let me just, oh man, I, I could spend so long on this. Let me just say this. I have this conversation all the time, even like people outside the army that are like, hey, we've decided where we're gonna move and, and it's good for housing values. The schools are good. I can make decent money, you know, and, and we'll end up having great quality of life. And then they're like, hey, pastor, do you know any churches in this area within about 10 minutes? I'm like, well, no, because here's what I would urge you to, to think. If you move somewhere and you, your housing value goes up $100,000, and your kids have a great education, and their SOT scores are banging, but your family withers without fellowship, it is not a net win. So think about where you go. It, think about your life decisions. Fourth, briefly, how do you respond to the faults and failures of the church? If we do not have the bride of Christ in view in Revelation 19. This is the way we respond to those who wrong us, who are wrong. We cancel them. I've seen over and over and over the last few days, if you think this, unfriend me. If you do this, unfriend me. If you don't support this, unfriend me. And we can bring that same mindset into the church. Oh, oh, somebody was mean to me. Somebody gossiped about me. Done. Unfriend. I'm not saying you can never leave a church and you shouldn't go and try to reconcile or even confront somebody who's in sin. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't see the faults and failures of the church here or broadly. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. There should be behind all of those a dogged commitment to the church through it all. Look, if you have a bad surgery and a surgeon accidentally leaves a scalpel inside of you, the solution is not to never go in a hospital again. The solution is find a better hospital and get the scalpel out, okay? So if you've been hurt by the church, please let me urge you, brother and sister, go to a church that loves the Lord and let them help. All right, fifth, how do you decide to join or leave a church? Well, first of all, I think you always join, period. Always, wherever you are. That means loving, serving, giving, helping, praying, caring, all the one another's. You should be careful, 
theological, clear-eyed about the church you join. And if, if, if at some point you need to leave, make the process, do the process in reverse. Be careful, theological, slow, have conversations, bless the church as you go. And, and let me just plead with you. Look, if, if you're here today, this is not your church. You don't have a home church. You're not a member of a church. Let me just plead with you biblically. Stop attending churches. Join a church. Be a member. Look, if, if you're here and that you're in that case and you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right place for me. Let me just urge you, be part of this church or find another church you can be part of. And to make it easy for you, Becky helped me make a list that's available on the back table of other churches you can go to if you're not gonna come here. And these are just churches where I happen to know this, the pastors. So there's other good churches in El Paso. Get the list, find a church, join one, please. Last, what will your lasting legacy be? Look, you can and should glorify God with vocational work, whether you're a teacher or a business person or a nurse or a restaurant server. That matters to God. We're gonna preach on vocation at some point and it will encourage you. Work hard at your job as unto the Lord. That glorifies God, right? Get out there, doctors, and cure diseases. Go farm well, go research well. Open new branches of your business to the glory of God. But notice this, in Revelation 19 to 22, your small business will not endure forever. All the doctors will be out of a job because cancers will be cured right? The, the, the work we do while glorifying God right now will not last fully into eternity in that sense. There will be one thing in eternity, the people of God and the bride of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, leave a legacy. In Revelation 22, Amazon ain't there anymore. Apple ain't there anymore. America ain't there anymore. The bride of Christ and Christ himself are what's there. So let me just close with this question. Is the church dear to you? The church is dear to Christ. It is dear to you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do pray that as we end, we would see your word clearly. Lord, I pray that this text would call for the right response from us. And in just a minute, God, we're gonna try to put this into practice. We're gonna try to rejoice and exult in the bride and in the bridegroom. Lord, may we, as we see Revelation 19, find ourselves in awe and wonder that we would even be included in the people of God in the first place. Oh, Lord, what, what immeasurable grace. And not only included, but then given a family. And not just given a family, but worked in and sanctified. And not just given, worked in and sanctified, given a mission to tell others about Christ and invite them into the family of God. Lord, th th these are all graces we do not deserve. So I pray we would feel it as we end. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Pastor Ricky will continue teaching through this series in the book of Revelation next time on Better News Radio. What an amazing gift this book of the Bible is. It's a very revealing book about the future, and yet there's still things that you won't be able to understand with a finite human mind. But wouldn't it be remarkable to have a full understanding of all of it at a later time? 
This book is Jesus' way of assuring his people that he'll make all things right. Justice will be done and the world will be restored because of a savior who comes and fights the bad guys. What a heroic story that weaves its way throughout all of history. Revelation brings things with this current world to a close and God ushers in a new reality. What hope this can bring you as a Christian and follower of Jesus? Don't live in fear of what's to come of this world. God's in control and he has a good plan. If you're enjoying studying God's Word but would like some additional resources, we'd like to help you. Go to betternewsradio.com and find some helpful tools to assist you along the way. You can also give us a call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Don't forget to place a marker in your Bible and join us again as Pastor Ricky continues teaching through God's Word in the book of Revelation. Our time with you for today is about up, but we trust that you're learning and growing, appreciating what God is teaching you. Come again to hear Better News Radio.